This is what Holy Scripture says. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God... And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, 
that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. This is what Holy Scripture says. Thanks be to God. found out not too long ago that a good friend of mine has just a few days left to live. Just a little bit over a year ago, he was diagnosed with leukemia, and for a time, treatment seemed to be going well, but then uh, they began to fail, and just recently, the doctors had to tell him, I'm sorry, there's nothing more we can do. And so he's 50 years old, what we'd usually consider middle-aged, and yet, barring a true miracle, He'll never reach old age. So at this point, he's in hospice care, and he's extremely weak. He has to spend most of his days just sleeping. But he does have a few hours every day where he's able to be awake and um, active. And you know how he's been spending those few hours a day where he's been awake? He made a list of all of his Christian friends, and he made a list of all his non-Christian friends, and he's been calling. He's been making phone calls. He's calling all his Christian friends to encourage them in the Lord one last time. And he's calling all his non-Christian friends to tell them about Jesus one more time. As he said, people are going to listen. He's got this opportunity and people will listen to him now. Isn't that a a remarkable closing chapter to a man's life? We've come to the, the closing chapter of another year, our final worship service for the year. And whenever we come to the end of one year and the beginning of another one, I know for me, I find myself pondering life and asking whether I'm living this life well, whether I'm honoring God with the life he's given to me. And I know many of you think about that as well. Are we living lives that are pleasing to our God? So I thought as we wrap up this year, it would be fitting for us to consider this together. I want you to consider how to live well. I want you to consider how to live well in the year of our Lord, 2024, which is just about to come our way, and then for as many years as the Lord happens to give you. And the text we use to guide us is from Acts chapter 13, it's verse 36. One little verse in the middle of a long passage. Acts 13, verse 36 says, For David, when he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers. I'd like to structure our time around four words that will lead us through that passage. The words are serve, sleep, rest, and rise. Do you think about the year to come? You think about what remains of your life. These words apply to you as well. Serve, sleep, rest, rise rise. And just as a logistical note, we'll spend a lot more time on the first word than the ones that follow it. So the verse we're looking at today comes from a sermon. It comes from a sermon the Apostle Paul preaches in the city of Antioch. He and Barnabas are on this missionary journey together. They come to the city of Antioch and they go to the uh, synagogue there to worship and they're spotted. And somebody says, would you like to bring a word to us? And Paul decides to use this opportunity to try to show the people there that Jesus is the Messiah, 
the Messiah they, as Jewish people, had been waiting for for all these years. And as Paul works toward that one major point, Jesus is the Messiah, he offers them a thumbnail sketch of Old Testament history. Along the way, he gets, of course, to the life of King David, and here's how he summarizes the life of David. David served the purpose of God in his own generation. So when we focus on that statement a little bit, I'll take that one statement and divide it into three parts. I think if you've got your bulletin in front of you, you'll see these. God calls you to serve. God calls you to serve the purpose of God. And God calls you to serve the purpose of God in your own generation. Let's look at these. If you want to live a life that is pleasing to God, you are called to serve. And if you're called to serve, what does that make you? That makes you a servant, right? Somebody who serves is a servant. A a servant is someone who works for a master and is accountable to him. Our text tells us that David served God. In other words, even though David was king over Israel, he was a servant under God. And and David knew this. David often affirmed this. You can look at some of his psalms, like Psalm 18. It's inscribed as a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. Psalm 19, he prays, keep back your servant from presumptuous sin. Psalm 31, make your face shine on your servant. So David was an earthly king, who knew that he was a servant of the heavenly king. He was called by God to lead men, but to follow God. And if you want to live a life that's meaningful, a life that honors God and is pleasing to him, the place to begin is right there, to acknowledge before God that you're a servant, to acknowledge that you're his servant. That sounds easy, but we have to admit there's something deep within us that makes us want to believe the opposite is true. There's there's something deep within you that makes you want to believe you're autonomous and you're independent and you answer to nobody and nothing but yourself. Really, there's something deep within you that believes God should be your servant, that he should do your will, that he should exist to follow your orders. But David had it right. He was a servant of God and he obeyed God and he answered to God I do wonder though have you bowed the knee to God have you acknowledged simply that he is God and you are not he is the creator you are the created he is the master you are the servant and then have you asked him to forgive you for so often acting like the opposite is true Because that's the original human sin right there. The original human sin is elevating yourself to the place of God and lowering God to the place of yourself, the place of humanity. And so have you asked God to forgive you for that? Have you submitted your life, submitted your very self to him? That's something we do once as we become Christians. It's something we need to do year by year and day by day. Believe it or not, there really is no better life than the life of a servant if you're the servant of God. So like David, you're calling, you're called to serve. You're called to be God's servant. And then like David, you're to serve the purpose of God. This means you're not to serve the purpose of you. You don't exist to serve the purpose of your parents. You don't exist to serve the purpose of your pastors or any other person. 
the key to living a life that's pleasing to God, a life that's truly purposeful. It's not to live out your own purpose, but to live out God's purpose. And that can be hard to do. I've heard the, the age we're living in right now, I've heard it described as the age of authenticity. And this is something that this age promises us. I'll, I'll describe it, and I think you'll, you'll understand it. We're told that deep within each one of us, there's an authentic self. And we need to discover, we need to search for and discover and find and live out that authentic self that's hidden within. And that means that everything external to us, that means society with all its rules and expectations, that means our families or cultures with all their traditions and all their religions, even our own bodies with their distinct sex and gender, all of these things we're told, these can all distract us from finding our authentic self. And that's a problem we're told because it's only when we discover and express this authentic self that we'll find happiness, that we'll find fulfillment. And so sometimes we wonder, why or how is society going the way it's going? Well, this is why. This is why so many people today are discovering that even though they were born with a male body, their authentic self is female. So a generation ago, someone might have said, I'm a man who feels like a woman or I'm a man who wishes he was a woman. Today, he simply says, I am a woman. My deepest, my, my most authentic self is a woman and that makes me a woman even if I have the body of a man. That's why. Because we're living in this age of authenticity. This is why we keep hearing about new identities or sexualities that are being crafted. People are desperate to, to define themselves, desperate to personalize themselves, to really to create themselves. Recently I heard about a man who came to understand that his authentic self is homosexual. And so he broke up his marriage and he left his family and he dis disrupted his everything, his marriage, his family. The people around him, how did they respond? They applauded him. They thought he had done something courageous because even though he had caused so much pain to other people, he was living out his authentic self. And that, they said, is worthy of praise. It's the most important thing. You might not go as far as something like that, but the truth is all of us are prone to this desire to self-create. Right? You're prone to believe that you will be happiest when you're allowed to create your own self, when you're able to define your own meaning, when you're able to determine your own purpose. But I'm telling you, if you want to live well before the Lord, if you want to live a life that's pleasing to God, you need to serve God's purpose. And that's not something you need to create. That's something you need to receive. That's not something that arises from within. It's something that's given you from above. So instead of searching within the depths of your soul, you need to search within God's word. You'll find it there. God will tell you your identity. And God will give you a purpose. You should be encouraged to know that God does, he does have a purpose for you. He has a purpose for each one of us. God didn't create a single person who is unimportant or redundant or unneeded. If God created you, you have a purpose. 
You have a purpose assigned to you by the God who so carefully crafted you to be exactly who you are. So what is that purpose? Why are you here? We're asking some big questions as we head into a new year. Why are you on this earth? Why did God make you? Well, your purpose, the the reason God made you, we can borrow the words of the shorter catechism written many years ago. The reason God made you, the reason you exist is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever is to know God and to have such a deep satisfaction in having this real and true and living relationship with him. It's to know who God is and to find your heart and your soul delighted in him. And it's to know that as you delight in God, you bring glory to him. You show him to be lovely and true and beautiful and worthy of praise and honor and glory. So you've been told by the messaging around us, a hundred TV shows and movies and um, in school, all of it, you've been told there's an authentic self within you. And you've been told that your parents and sources of authority and the Christian faith even, all this will hinder you from finding and expressing that, that true you. You've been told that you'll be happy only to the degree you're able to discover and then live out that personalized, self-created, supposedly authentic self. I really want you to know that is a lie. That is simply not true. The path to happiness and fulfillment and contentment The way to be your truest and best and most significant self is to orient your life around God. To orient your life around God's purpose is to find great delight in Him and to bring glory to His name. There really is no better life than that. How do I know that? Because that's the very reason God made you. If you live like that, you're living out your God-given purpose, a a purpose given by the God who so carefully created you so you're to serve God you're to serve God's purpose and you're to serve God's purpose now in your own generation so all of this delighting in God and all of this glorifying God that does something to you and if you're a Christian you know this as you delight in God you're transformed in the inner self and the outer self In your inner self, you find that old longings get replaced by new ones and ugly desires get replaced by holy desires. You find that sinful impulses are replaced by pure ones and and vile thoughts are replaced by sweet thoughts. All that goes on in the inner self, all this transformation. And then in the outer self, you find that now instead of living for your own glory, you, you live for God's glory. Instead of constantly acting for your own good, you start to act, behave for the good of other people. So as you delight in God, you're transformed from the inside out, from the heart to the hands. Your delight in God, it's like it starts to overflow into all parts of your life. It it overflows into a mind that just loves to ponder God and, and into a will that just loves to obey God. It overflows into lips that love to speak his truth and hands that love to serve his people and and feet that will go wherever God calls you to go. 
So God's purpose for you is that you find such satisfaction in him that you freely, gladly, joyfully live to bring glory to him by doing good to other people. This is your calling. This is how you serve the purpose of God in your generation. You do that by loving, serving, blessing the people around you. By deploying what you've got, your gifts, your talents, your time, your energy, your enthusiasm, all of it. By deploying it for the good of other people, knowing that this brings glory to God. So there's an important connection between your delight in God and your usefulness to the people around you. Or between your delight in God and really just living out your purpose. It is as you delight in God that you find great delight in serving God's people. It's as you find joy in God that you most joyfully live in love and service to the people around you. And that means the key to it all is to keep loving God, to keep pursuing God, to keep delighting in Him, to to keep reading His Word and praying to Him, to keep joining God's people in worship. And as your delight in God grows, as you find deeper joy and satisfaction in Him, you'll find that growing right alongside it is your love for other people and your desire to live in a way that honors them, that helps them, that serves them. I wonder if you ever find your heart growing cold to other people instead of staying warm. You find you're content to stay away from people, to back away from them, maybe not to come here and and worship with them. You ever find yourself lax in doing good to other people? You see needs but think somebody else can get that. You see an opportunity to serve and you don't take it. When that happens, the problem is almost definitely that you've grown cold toward God, not toward other people. If you stir up your delight in God, it will stir up your delight, your joy in other people. Which means, again, spend time with the Lord and reading and praying and meditating on his word. Ponder the gospel and, and just preach those truths to yourself. Worship God. Make sure you're here when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. All of these things will stir up your delight. And it will motivate you all the more to bless the people who have been made in his image. Notice that David was deemed faithful for serving God's purpose in his own generation. God's calling on you is to serve your own generation. That just means the people God brings into your life. It is absolutely fine to live a life of faithful obscurity to give all you've got to serving your family and your church and your neighborhood that is a good life that's a life that honors God your calling is to serve it's to serve God's purpose and it's to serve God's purpose in your own generation and then what What happens after you live that kind of a life? Well, that's our second heading. We serve and then we sleep. So you can look back at Acts chapter 13, verse 36. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. 
which means David served God's purpose that God had given him throughout his lifetime, and then he died. You probably know the Bible often refers to death as sleep. And it does that because there's beauty, there's comfort to be had in that word. Death might scare you, but sleep doesn't scare you. Sleep is familiar. It's familiar to each one of us. It's, it's a friend. Don't we look forward to going to sleep? Tonight at 12.30, 1 a.m., I'm thinking you'll look forward to going to sleep because sleep is a friend. It's a friend that just delivers you from night to day, from darkness to light. And you know that once your sleep is over, you'll awaken and you'll be refreshed. You'll have what you need to face a new day. The Bible says that death only exists because of humanity's fall into sin. If we had not sinned, we would not die. And in that way, death is a consequence of sin and a terrible enemy, an enemy to humanity. We, should, we weren't created to die. We were the ones who brought death into this world, death as an enemy. But as a Christian, you also come to realize that death is an ally as well. Why is that? Because death is what releases you from this place of weariness. There's only one way to leave behind all the pain and the sorrow and the grief and the illness and just the sheer weariness we experience from life in this world. And that's to die. It's to fall asleep. That was the experience of King David so many generations ago. It will very soon be the experience of my friend. Someday for each one of us, it will be our experience as well. Like King David, he served the purpose of God in his own generation and then he slept. He slept and then what? Look at our text one more time. David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers. Our third heading is rest. Serve Sleep, rest. I love that little phrase we find all over the Old Testament, a phrase like he was laid with his fathers or he was gathered to his fathers. It's a euphemism that speaks to death, but it does something really meaningful. It displays something really meaningful. So on the one hand, David died and he was probably placed in a tomb where his ancestors had already been laid. And so in that way, he was laid with his fathers. His body was put beside theirs. But there's a lot more bound up in the term than that. Just as the remains of David and his ancestors were together in a grave, the soul of David and his ancestors were together with the Lord. Because when David slept, he didn't enter into some void of nothingness. He didn't experience some kind of soul sleep. He didn't become one with the universe or anything like that. He went to heaven. He went to the place of rest. And so will you if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've given your life to him. We need a little precision when we talk about heaven. Often we can blend two different ideas or two different experiences when we use the word heaven. And sometimes we mean our final state, the, the new heavens and the new earth that will be our ultimate destination after the Lord Jesus Christ returns. So that's what we can mean by heaven. But sometimes we also mean 
what some people call the intermediate state, the, the place or state that exists from now until the time when Jesus Christ returns. And that's what I'm referring to as our place of rest. What people experience right now, those who have died already. God doesn't tell us an awful lot about that place or about that state except that we're with the Lord and we're with one another. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, so at the moment of your death, with me, with Jesus, paradise. That paradise is a place of rest. We rest from sin. We rest from sorrow. We rest from pain. We rest from illness. We rest from the presence of all that's evil. We rest from every consequence of evil. But we don't just rest from, we also rest with. We rest with our loved ones. We rest with those who have loved the Lord and professed faith in Him and gone to be with Him. Ultimately, we rest with Jesus. For whatever or wherever paradise is, that's the place where Jesus Christ is. So our souls rest with Jesus in heaven because our faith has rested in Jesus on earth. Because we've turned to him here, he will joyfully receive us there. So when the day comes when you fall asleep, the remains of your body will go into the ground just like David's did. Your body will experience decay just like David's did. Terrible things happen to human bodies when they die. <clears throat> but wonderful things, amazing things happen to human souls. The moment you die, your soul will be at rest with God and at rest with his people. Your body may sleep in the ground for years or centuries, but for all that time, your soul will be at peace and rest. You'll be praising God, rejoicing in God, and resting. Because first you serve, then you fall asleep, and then you rest. A time of rest will come to you. It's important to know that time of rest is not here. It's not yet. How do I know? Because you're still alive. God's purpose for you now is to work. It's to labor. It's to carry out the duties that he has given you. That includes your vocational work, whatever that, that is, that main calling in life. But there's so much more to it than that. Your task from God, the, the duty he gives you is to do good to others. He calls you to glorify him and enjoy him forever, to so delight in him that it overflows into this life lived to serve and bless other people. And God does not mean for you to rest from that work until the very moment he calls you to heaven. Just think of my friend whose body has almost completely given up. His life is now measured in days, hours. But he knows that as long as he's got breath in his lungs, his work is not complete. From his literal deathbed, they brought a bed into the living room, he will die upon that bed. From his literal deathbed, he's expressing love to people. He's encouraging them. He's telling them about Jesus. 
So even though he's come to his final days, he's not yet come to his time of rest. A pilot can't just retire or clock off when he's halfway over the Atlantic Ocean or even when he's on final approach. His duty is to land that plane safely and to taxi it all the way to the gate. My friend knows he's not yet been released from the duty God has given him. And so he continues to delight and bless and love and serve. Now if that's true of a man who's mortally ill, how much more should it be true of those of us who are healthy and whole and able-bodied? How much more should it be true of those of you who are young and well and healthy, you've got many days, possibly many decades ahead of you? You've got a long time still, if God wills, for you to delight in him and to be a blessing to his people. So if you're into New Year's resolutions and you're thinking ahead to tomorrow and the year that follows, here's a way to frame a good New Year's resolution. What do I need to begin doing this year that will increase my delight in God? And what do I need to stop doing this year that will decrease my delight in God? And then in what ways, out of the overflow of that delight, that joy in God, out of the overflow of all that, how do I intend to bless and serve his people? What habits do I need? What disciplines do I need in order to delight in God and to serve his people? So resolve to delight, resolve to serve, and resolve to keep doing it until you fall asleep and enter into your rest. This rest we've been speaking of is not a permanent state because God is something even better in store because we serve, we sleep, we rest, and then we rise. You remember that these words about David are, are part of a sermon the Apostle Paul is preaching, and what he wants his Jewish listeners to know is that Jesus is the Messiah they've been waiting for. They've been waiting. He's telling them this Messiah has come. I want to show you how he proves this to them, how he shows this to them. So what he does is he looks to a psalm that David wrote, Psalm 16. David had written it hundreds of years before. And in the sentence right before the one we've been looking at, he quotes a line from that psalm. So Acts 13, verse 35, he says, Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. So Paul quotes that line from Psalm 16, and then he essentially just leaves this question hanging in the room. Who was David talking about? Who is this Holy One who will not see corruption? Because nobody doubted that David, who wrote the psalm, nobody doubted that David's body did what everybody does when it dies. It decayed. In Paul's words, it became corrupted. That's what he means by corrupted, just decomposition. So here's what he's wanting these people to figure out. What did David mean when he said, you will not let your Holy One see corruption? He couldn't have been referring to himself because he did see corruption. So who is he referring to? Paul has an answer. Verse 36. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Well, who did God raise up? Who died but did not experience decay or decomposition? We know who that is. 
That's our Lord Jesus Christ. God raised him from the dead. And so the point Paul is making is this. Jesus is the Messiah. And we know this because God raised him from the dead. He is the Holy One who did not see corruption. We've been thinking about David right through these key words of serve, sleep, rest, rise. Do you know who else those words can apply to just as well? They can apply to Jesus. The one whose footsteps we all follow. What did Jesus do when he was here on earth? He served. He said of himself, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. Whereas Paul wrote in his letter to the Philippians, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So Jesus lived on this earth to serve God by loving people. And then what? He slept. There on the cross, he bowed his head, he breathed his last, he gave up his spirit. He was dead. He was as dead as David. He was as dead as you and I will someday be. And then he rested. Late on Friday, his body was taken off the cross and it was placed in a tomb. Lay there Friday night and Saturday morning and Saturday night. No breath, no heartbeat, no life. But on Sunday... On Sunday, he stirred and he sat up and he stood to his feet. He rose from the dead. His body and soul were reunited and he was as alive then as he has ever been. And he is alive today, alive forevermore. So Jesus served and Jesus slept and Jesus rested and Jesus rose. And because he rose, you will rise. His resurrection was a kind of down payment. It was a kind of proof or guarantee that you too will be raised from the dead if you're in Christ Jesus. And when you rise, just like him, you, you'll, you'll be reunited with your body. Your soul will be reunited with your body just like his was, but it'll be a body that has been made perfect. You'll have a perfect soul that resides in a perfect body to live forever in a perfect world as a servant of our perfect God. Doesn't that sound perfect? Well, that's the hope we have in Jesus. That's the hope we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the question is then, what what difference does this make? What difference does this make to you as you consider a new year stretched out ahead of you and possibly many years, many more years after that? We can work backwards. A day will come when Christ returns and you will rise. Before you rise, you will rest. Before you rest, you will sleep. And before you sleep, that's this year. That's today, tomorrow, that's right now, this very moment. So how will you live when you know that right now is the time for wakefulness, the time for action? And not the time for sleep. Not the time for rest. You don't know how long you have. Only God knows that. You don't know how long you have, but you do know how to live that time well. You know that the life of meaning and significance is the life of a servant. To be a servant like Jesus. To be a servant like King David. A servant like my friend, all of whom served faithfully, faithfully to the end. You don't need to be famous. You don't need to be wealthy or 
beautiful or powerful. God calls you to be faithful. To be faithful in the short time he gives you. To serve out your days for something so much bigger and so much greater and so much more wonderful than yourself. To serve out your days and go to be with God forever. And so the best life, the best life of all is the one that's lived to serve God's purpose in your own generation. A life of knowing God and enjoying God and finding great delight in Him. And then out of the overflow of that love, out of the overflow of that delight to love and bless and serve, to give all you've got, to do good for others, to the glory of God. And even though this is where the sermon was meant to end, I wonder if you'd grant me just a couple more minutes. I worked on this sermon earlier in the week, and what you heard now was basically by Wednesday morning, it was in this form. Then Wednesday evening, my friend gave me a call. He just wanted to say goodbye, and he wanted to offer me some words of encouragement. Really, he wanted to just praise God for all of God's goodness and kindness in his life. Then he asked if I would pray for him. He put his family on speakerphone and he said there were still four people in his life that he hadn't yet been able to tell about Jesus. And he wanted me to pray that God would allow him to live long enough to tell those four people about the Lord before he died. And so I prayed for my friend just as he had asked. I told him I loved him. We said goodbye. And that'll be the end of our friendship in this life, I'm sure. He's too weak to talk now, but yesterday I checked with his family, and he had indeed talked to all four people and everybody else on the list he made. He was able to tell them about Jesus. He also got to talk to the hospital's chaplain, who showed up and tried to give some namby-pamby, feel-good version of Christianity. My friend shared the gospel with the chaplain, too. <laughs> his health continues to decline, though, and he's now in great pain and We've heard that the prayer he wants is simply, God, please be gentle with him. His prayer, God, please be gentle with me. And in the next day, two days, maybe three days, will be said of my friend, my friend who's also named David. David served the purpose of God in his own generation. He fell asleep. He was laid with his fathers. And then, we know the story doesn't end there, don't we? We know the story of his life is really just getting started. He served. Still ahead, he will sleep and rest. And soon enough, he will rise. He'll rise along with you and me and all of God's people. What a God. What a gospel. I think that's something we need to sing about. It seems appropriate to respond with joy to all these promises. So... You can take your song sheets. We'll be singing a song that consecrates the new year to the Lord. And you'll see as we sing it, we're, we're telling the Lord that whether we spend this year on earth or in heaven, we're giving the year to him. And then we'll sing of the day when our Lord Jesus Christ will return and make all things new. Please stand as you're able. <laughs>